All right, well, let's take our Bibles this morning. Let's go to 1 Peter, okay? 1 Peter is where we will be as we're going through this book together on Sunday mornings, all right? And as we come back to it one more time, I just want to remind you that Peter is writing for this main reason. You probably know what that reason is by now, but he's writing for this main reason of strengthening the brethren, just as Jesus told him to do. When Jesus said this in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. 32, when thou art converted, meaning when you return, when you come back to me, Peter, strengthen thy brethren. So that's what he's doing. The first Peter and second Peter is writing because of that very thing, to strengthen the believers. But why would they need strength at this moment? It's because at this time in history, in the first century, they were really going through the ringer. These believers, uh, the church was going through great persecution. They're being hauled off to prison, being tortured, and yes, even being put to death. And so they need strength. But it's not a physical strength that they need to endure the physical pain they were going through. It wasn't a financial strength even that they needed to bail themselves out of a sticky situation. It wasn't a political strength hoping for better political leaders. Rather, the strength that these individuals needed, the church needed, was going to be found from the pen of Peter as Peter sits down and gives them this great hope. That's the strength they needed. And that great hope was found in the Word of God. It is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that hope that we speak of is not a wishful thinking. It's not let's uh, cross our fingers here. Let's, uh, it's not let's cast a coin into the wishing well and hope it all works out. That's not the hope that he's speaking of. Rather, the hope that they truly have and that Peter gives and that we can have today is this. It's hope that is based on the person and promises of God. And my friends, that is real hope. Something that's based on truth, based on reality, and not based on wishful thinking. All right? So keep that in mind as we go throughout the book of First and Second Peter. He's writing to strengthen the brethren and to give them great hope. All right? So as we come back to First Peter, we're in chapter number 2, and we're going to finish the message we started last Sunday morning. But as we come back to this message, keep in mind that Peter has just finished up writing about the hope they have through their salvation. The hope they have through being born again, through being bought and washed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he speaks of them, of their salvation. But now, as we come to chapter number 2, it would seem he is speaking more along the lines of, of this subject of sanctification. And I once again be reminded that salvation, it is an instantaneous event, meaning it takes place the very moment that a sinner turns from their sin and unto God. At that very moment when an unbeliever believes on the name of the only begotten Son of God and puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. As the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that salvation is instant. It is immediate. All right? You don't have to work for it or wait for it. It's immediate. But sanctification is not as instant Rather, it is a process that begins at salvation but is not completed until glorification. 
And so listen, when we speak of the process of sanctification, God uses all types of different things to uh, make us more like His Son, the Lord Jesus. Even in the context, again, historical context of 1 Peter, as they're going through fiery trials, the Lord uses those times in our life. Does he not? To knock off the rough edges, to get the junk out of our lives. He uses those difficult days to bring us closer to him. Maybe you found yourself even this past week in a difficult time. Well, I encourage you to allow that time to draw you closer to Jesus, not further away. Because that's the, that's the intent behind it. At least that's how he wants to use it as he allowed it to happen in our life. All right, Let it draw you closer to the Lord. That's what sanctification is, being closer to Jesus, being more like Jesus. So when you think of the process of sanctification, all right, think of it this way. Sanctification is not, are you perfect? But rather it is, are you progressing? Are you progressing? And so let's continue on that subject today, on the process of progress. And as we do think on this subject, we're going to be in verse number uh, 1 through 9. And we saw this last time, all right? This first major point last time is this. In the process of progress, to become more like the Lord, number one, we must depart daily. Look at verse number 1 again. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisies, envies, and all evil speaking. Now remember, as Peter is writing this, keep in mind he's dealing with those who know Jesus as Savior. And you can see that because of the verse, uh, first verse, I'm sorry, first word in the first verse of the word wherefore. It tells us of that fact as it's pointing back to what he had just said. But when you read the words that follow the word wherefore, such words like malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, evil speakings, when you read these words, one would think that Peter is not necessarily speaking to saved people, but you would think he's speaking to lost people. You would think he's not speaking to the children of God, but rather the children of the devil. But understand, he is talking to believers. He is talking to saved people. He is saying, listen, you blood-washed crowd, you need to cut this stuff out. You need to lay this stuff aside. Get this out of your life. You need to depart from this type of behavior. Now, someone reads these words again and compares them to the context, at least the historical context at this time, which again was strong persecution. One may ask, why is Peter being just so mean? You know, that, that old preacher, he's just so mean. He's calling out the sin I'm going through and facing this, that, and the other. Why is he being so, so negative? Where's the comfort Oh, where's the grace? Where's the encouragement? Where's the hope that he was speaking of in, in chapter number one? Where is all of that? We'll be reminded if we're honest with ourselves. If we're honest with ourselves, we must all agree that during troubled times, during times of trial, they can do one of two things. They can bring out the best in us and the worst in us. And I'm not going to use the same illustration we used last time, but we'll use the illustration of putting a, 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 a bag of tea in hot water. Because when you get in the hot water, what's on the inside comes on the outside. And I need to ask a, a question. I'm taking a poll, okay? So be honest with me. When I set that cup up here and put that bag of tea in that hot water, did you hear anything else after that illustration? Or are you waiting for me to whoosh, knock off that tea the rest of the time? Because I think everybody was waiting for me to knock off the tea, all right? At least my wife was, but that's okay. So anyway, so I won't do that illustration today. But just understand, 
these troubled times, fiery trials of life, they do one of two things. They bring out the best in us. Or they bring out the worst in us. Listen, the Lord allows us to go through these times of life where the heat gets turned up so that what's on the inside, the junk at least that's on the inside, will come to the top. That the unholy things we brought to the surface of our lives for the purpose of departing from them. For the purpose of laying them aside. It's all part of the process of progress. And so Peter sits down to write and says, lay aside these things. We took note of this first one. Lay aside malice. Again, be reminded, malice is a desire to inflict injury and bodily harm. It is a wickedness that is not ashamed to break laws. This points to their wrath. No doubt they were angry of the things they were facing, things they were going through, suffering so like they were. They were just absolutely mad about these fiery trials and probably we would be the same way. But we cannot respond during those times with malice. Rather, we've got to put that aside. Put aside your desire to get even. Put it aside. Because that does not point people to Jesus. And it don't look like Christ. Point it. Put it aside. And then as we move on, we'll get to this word. The next word is guile. I'll try to move through these words quicker than I did the last one. All right. But this word guile. What is guile? As Peter says, to lay aside all malice and all guile. What is that? Well, it is this. Guile is craftiness. It is deceitfulness. It is trickery. And do you know what is synonymous with this word guile? I'm going to tell you. It's the game warden. He's a tricker. I'm telling you, he is. Anybody seen a game warden, they trick you? Okay, I'm going to tell you on myself then, I guess. Anybody ever seen a mechanical deer? You know who put that mechanical deer out there? It wasn't your neighborhood friend, your friendly neighborhood person. It was the game warden, all right? He about got me one day. It was a big old buck, all right? And, uh, but it was moving very odd. It had just a couple of movements. It would put its head down, act like it's eating acorns of grass, put its head up, and then look right at me. And then it would go back, same motion, up, back at me. I'm like, man, that's a monster buck, but something, something's off with that thing. It ain't walking. It ain't tiptoeing. Same movements all the time. And I happened to look behind me and see... The hood of a vehicle. And inside that vehicle was your friendly neighborhood tricker called the Game Morgan. All right? He was trying to get me. And yes, I may or may not was going to shoot that thing in a uh, probably should not way of doing that. I'm going to shut up before I get myself in trouble. But listen, what I'm saying is, is guile is simply tr- someone who, who's tricks, who, who runs by trickery. And maybe the believers at this moment, at this day, they were being that way. They were being deceitful, maybe trying to get away from the persecution, trying to get away from all the fiery trials that they were going through. And this would seem to deal with their words, which led to this, hypocrisy. The next word that Peter points out they need to lay aside was hypocrisy. Now what is this? Hypocrisy is when is an actor behind a mask, meaning it's someone who's playing a part but living another And this has to do with their walk. And so at this moment, it could be that as the persecution ramped up, it could be that as the the soldiers or whoever it was that came by the homes of the believers and asked them, maybe they asked them, hey, are you a Christian? Are you one of those who is following the way? That's what they were called in the book of Acts, those of the way. 
Are you one of those that belong to Jesus Christ? And maybe as they ask this question, knowing there's a great probable and potential uh, prison time, maybe they said, mm, no, no, that, that's, that's not me. You got the wrong guy. And maybe as the soldier goes to the next door, they close their own and begin to play the part of an actor and be a hypocrite. And really it sounds a lot like what Peter did one day as he stood beside a fire himself and denied that he knew Jesus three times. He played the part of a hypocrite. But what does Peter tell him to do? Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Then he says this, envy in verse number one. Now what is envy? Envy is jealousy. Envy is coveting. And this has to do with their wishes, okay? And maybe at this time, uh, maybe they were envious of other believers who were not in the same vicinity of this great persecution taking place. Or maybe they were even envious of non-believers because the non-believers were not facing these uh, fiery trials. They were not facing the persecution. They were not going through the same troubles that these believers were going through. They were not facing the same treatment. So maybe they were envious of unbelievers. Believers, but what does Peter say? Lay that aside. You don't need to be envious of others. You don't need to be covetous of others. Lay it aside. Oh, what else did he tell him to lay aside? He said this: evil speaking. Well, now, what is evil speaking? It is backbiting. It is defamation of character. It is slander. And maybe at this time the believers were suffering so much they began to slander those that were in uh, rule, the, the ruling politicians, the ruling, uh, the political game of the day, uh, the religious crowd. Maybe they were slandering them, defaming them, cussing them. Maybe they were. But Peter says, lay this aside. Even though it's so easy to allow evil speech to fly out of our mouths, especially when you're going through great difficult days. But Peter still says, lay it aside. Remember, that word laid aside means you put it down with no intention of picking it back up. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Listen, all of these things and more no doubt were going on. And Peter says, lay them aside. And as we go through our process of progress, there are things we must depart from. So I want to tell you this this morning. Get every known sin that you know about out of your life. Because as believers, there are some sins that we entertain in our lives more than others. And we know, still know, that they are wrong. And no one has to tell us that it's wrong. But if we allow them to continue, if we allow those sins in our life to continue to rule our life, we will not be progressing. Rather, we will be digressing. So I want to encourage you, dear believer, get these things out of your life. I want to encourage you, dear believer, whatever it is that you may be allowing in your life, get it out. What is it? What is in your life that you know should not be there? I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. You say, good, I'm not going to anyway. I understand, all right? But guess who knows about it? The Holy Spirit of God that dwells in your heart and life, He knows about it. He will bring it to your attention. He'll bring it to the top. And when He does, get it out. Lay it aside, never to pick it up again. I remember when the Lord, the Holy Spirit was convicting me in my life after I surrendered to preach and convicting me and showed me in, in different areas of life I needed to get this out, get that right, this so forth and so on. And 
I remember one specific day, it was, it was the, on the matter of, of the music that I was listening to. And God was convicting me of, of that era of my life. And I just had to get it out. And so instead of all the CDs, I, I, I know we don't listen to CDs any, anymore. Anybody listen to CDs? Hardly a few of you. Okay, some. Everything else is on your phone, right? It's uh, Spotify. It's, it's blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I feel kind of old now. Ah, hold on. Give me a moment. Anyway. We didn't have all that stuff back then. We had CDs, okay? And I had hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of CDs that were no, no good. And God convicted me over that. And instead of selling them, I could have. made a little more money or some money back at least. I just took them and threw them away. I had to lay it aside, get it out of my life so that temptation, listen to them, wouldn't continue to be there. Look, I don't know what's in your life, but God does and so do you. And you know that you need to depart from it. You need to lay it aside. But what else do we need to do in our process of progress? Not only do we need to depart daily, there's some things we need to dine on daily. Look at verse number 2. Dine daily on this. Verse number 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, there are some certain eating disorders that some people do struggle with in our world today. And two of the main ones that we know of is anorexia and bulimia. And uh, they're very, very disheartening to see individuals struggle uh, with this. But anorexia is, is an eating disorder. It's characterized by starvation. And some people do this just to lose, to lose weight, but it can lead to different kinds of health problems and Bulimia would be an eating disorder that is characterized by binge eating and then followed by purging. And again, this can lead to all kinds of health problems. And, but many people suffer from these things and deal with these things. And You can probably tell that I don't, but anyway. But some people do. And there is help out there for these, these issues because they, be, they can be serious in people's, in people's lives. But as I think on this serious issue, a physical matter of of these eating disorders, I think of this too, all right? That with even believers today, they are anorexic spiritually, if I can say it that way. Because they do not feed on the Word of God. Uh, let me see, let me see a, a, a hands this morning. Who here had breakfast? Anybody have breakfast? Awesome. Uh, my breakfast was an energy drink, okay? So we may be here for another hour. Brace yourselves. Just kidding. Uh, who here is planning on going to lunch? Amen. Hurry up, preacher. Going to lunch. All right. So somebody planning to eat today or have eaten today? Yes? Okay. Most of us, yes. We plan on eating our physical nourishment as, as food for nourishment uh, every single day. But let me ask you this. Don't raise your hand. Have you fed on the Word of God today? You say, yeah, preacher, I went to Sunday school. It was good. Praise the Lord. Yeah, preacher, I'm here this morning, and I'm hearing you teach and preach the Word of God. Well, praise the Lord. I'm thankful that you are. But listen, if this is the only time you feed on the Word of God is on Sunday, you're going to be one weak Christian. You really will. We must dine daily on the Word of 
God. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warm. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. We must feast, feed, dine daily on the Word of God. What did Job say when he was going through his trials and difficulties? Job said this in Job 23, 12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Listen, Job wanted the Word of God more than the very food that was going to sustain life physical life here on earth. He'd rather have the Word of God. My question to us this morning is this. Where is our hunger for the Bible? You know, when someone gets saved, a new believer in Christ, I love it because they have such a new hunger. They have a hunger for for the Lord. They have a hunger for being around God's people. And they have a hunger for they have a hunger for the Word of God. Can't get enough of it. Do you remember after you got saved, that hunger that you had for the Bible, just opening and reading the Bible, having no idea what you're reading, but man, it sure is good. Why? Because you just have that desire to feed on the Word, on the Word of God. Do you remember? You still have it. If not, what happened? Where is that hunger? Listen, we know when, when uh, infants and babies get hungry, they'll let you know about it, don't they? Any parents say amen to that? Okay. They'll let you know and in quite uh, loud tones that they're hungry. And even some as adults, when you get hangry, you let people know about it too, you know. But, but are you hungry for the word the Word of God? Are you eager to get into the Bible every day? Or have you lost your appetite for it? Because you've been feeding on other things that point you away from the Word of God. If you've lost your appetite for Scripture, I'm, I'm asking God, I'm asking the Lord this morning even to restore that love, that appetite, that desire once again for the Bible. God help us. We need a revival back to the Word of God. Lord, help us to dine daily on the Word. So what are we to do? In this process of progress, as we, as we go throughout our, our, our Christian lives, well, we, we are to depart daily. Sometimes, just get rid of them. Then we're to dine daily. Get in the Word of God every single day. And then we're to do this. Thirdly and lastly, dedicate daily. Now, we're all dedicated to something, right? We're dedicated to family. Uh, dedicated to our spouse, uh, dedicated to our children, uh, grandchildren, friends, uh, dedicated to your job or hobby or whatever. You fill in the blank. We're all dedicated to something. And uh, a lot of these things are good. We should be dedicated to family and spouse, kids. We, we should. But some other things we should be dedicated to as well. And what are those things? Look at your Bible with me. And let's see what we should be dedicated to. Look at verse number Verse number four, to whom coming as unto a living stone, 
and disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Be dedicated to this. Number one, quickly, be dedicated to church. Look at verse 5 again. He also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. Now this phrase here is indicating an activity that is presently going on, meaning we are built up, we are being built up as a spiritual house. And this spiritual house is not speaking necessarily of a physical building or of a physical house. We're not talking about brick and mortar here. Rather, we're talking about, or he's referring to, all believers. Yet making an analogy or a comparison. Let me ask you this. Anybody here worked in construction at all? Maybe you're a builder or have been. You've worked in construction. Okay, very good. Let me ask you. As you work in construction and you build a house, what part of the house do you need? You say, all of them. <laughs> yeah. To have a house, complete house, what part of the house do you need? Yes, is the answer. Of course, you start with a good foundation. You think we have a good foundation? His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. You start with a good foundation. You have, you have from there, you build upon it with the, with the floor joists and the subfloor, and then you build your walls, and then you, you start to build your, your, uh, uh, your trusses, and you put your roof on. Now it's in the dry, and begin to, to, uh, to, to uh, put everything else in, the sheetrock, and so forth and so on. Have a good bathroom, and have good plumbing, and, and all this. You need every bit of that to have a complete house. Yes? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven of you, eight of you, nine of you. Okay, all right, cool. Yes, we all need that for a complete house. And as believers, as a collective group that is part of a spiritual house, as part of a body, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 27 and Ephesians chapter 4, listen, I want you to understand something. We all need each other. Amen. We need each other. And there are some people today, some Christians and believers today who think that they can live the Christian life and grow in the Christian life, who can be happy in their Christian life without gathering with the church as part of a spiritual house. They think they can grow and progress without the church. Can I be quite honest and very blunt with you this morning? Is that okay? I promise it's in love. You can't. <laughs> we need each other. I need you. I'm sorry. You need me a little bit too. Because <laughs> we're all part of the same local assembly, local body. And we need each other. Now, what part of your body don't, don't you need? You say, well, what are you talking about? What, what, are you okay to cut off a thumb or cut off a finger or cut off a toe or a foot? You okay to do that? You say, no, I don't want to do that. Why? Well, I need it. Okay. We need each other. We need each other. And I'm going to tell you, it's a very dangerous thing to abandon what God has established you see, the church was not man's idea. Man did not come up with this. 
the gathering of believers. Man did not come up with that. God started that. It is His idea. It is His purpose. It is His church. And He purchased it with His own blood. It belongs to Him. Why would we ever want to abandon it and forsake it altogether? Now again, I'm not talking about brick and mortar. I'm talking about gathering with the people of God physically. Again, the Bible says in verse number 5, when it says ye there, that is a plural reference referring to all believers as lively stones built up a spiritual house. We need each other. Especially as you consider, the, again, the historical context of Peter in these troubled times of life. We need each other. It's all part of progressing forward together. You know, something that's helped me over the years when it comes to thinking of the church, uh, So I, I can't remember who said it. I didn't come up with it, but uh, another preacher said it. Maybe heard it from another preacher who heard from another preacher who heard it all the way from Apostle Peter. I don't know. But anyway, but he said this. He said, God didn't give the people in order to build churches. He gave churches in order to build people. I like that because we need each other. To edify each other, help each other. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto measure of stature the fullness of Christ. We must be edified and perfected and for the work of the ministry to gather as we gather to gather. All I'm trying to say is this. Listen, we need each other. Dedicate yourself to the gathering of believers. And quickly, dedicate yourself to this. It's a no-brainer. But he says it again in verse number 4. And five, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Be dedicated to the Lord. Be dedicated to the Lord. You know, here when it says these spiritual sacrifices, what exactly is he talking about? Well, in short, I believe he is speaking of every believer. Of you and of me, we are to give ourselves, to dedicate ourselves as a sacrifice to God. As Paul put it this way in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable for every born-again believer to give themselves, dedicate themselves to their Savior. That's only reasonable. God's not being unreasonable when he says to present your body a living sacrifice. That's not unreasonable. It's only reasonable. And we must do that daily. Give yourself to the Lord. After everything he's done for us, it's the least we can do for him. Have you ever heard the story of the Moravian missionaries? Anybody heard of of them? A couple of you. If you have it, let me tell you the story of two Moravian missionaries. Two young men had heard of an island in the West Indies where an atheist, he was a British owner, 
of this island. He had upwards of 3,000 slaves. And the owner said, No preacher will ever stay on this island. And if he is shipwrecked here, we will keep him in a separate house until he leaves. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. I am through with all of that nonsense. So 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa were brought to an island in the Atlantic and they would be there. They would live and die without hearing of Christ. Yet two young Germans in their 20s from the Moravians group heard about this owner and these slaves. And these two young men were willing to sell themselves to this British man for the standard price of a male slave at this time. And that's exactly what they did. And as these men were boarding the boat to sail to the island, the Moravian community came to see the two men off who would never return again, having freely sold themselves to a lifetime of slavery. As you can imagine, as the family members came, they were emotional and overcome with emotion, weeping for these two young men. But as the ship began to slip away with the tide and got further and further from the shore, the young men linked arm in arm together, raised their hands and shouted across the, the, the spreading gap. And they said this phrase, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that very saying, that statement became the call of the Moravian missions. I think it's safe to say that those two fellows, they dedicated their very lives to Christ as spiritual sacrifices. You will never regret giving your life a living sacrifice to the Lord of glory because He alone is worthy. Worthy of your life, worthy of your sacrifice as far as living for Him, is worthy of our service. He is worthy of you. We should dedicate ourselves to, to Him. It's all part of becoming more like Jesus. So how do we do that, though? Depart from sin. That you know of, lay it aside, just lay it aside. Depart from it. Dine upon the Word of God. Get in the Bible every single day and dedicate yourself to the Lord. Dedicate yourself to meeting together with like minded believers, such as here at Bowling Springs Baptist Church. May God help us to become more like Jesus. Our Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for Jesus who came to this earth to die for our sin, be buried for our sin, and rise again from the grave to give us life and give us life eternal. We are so thankful. And Lord, I pray that in the stillness of this moment as we're thinking about this message and your word, Maybe there's some sin that you've highlighted and brought to the attention of the individual and they just need to lay it aside. May they do that today. To lay it down, never to pick it back up again, to depart from it. Help us to do that daily, Lord. As you bring things to our memory, bring things to our attention, may we respond appropriately. And God, help us to 
have that hunger again for the Word of God to feast upon the Scripture, feed our inner man on the Word and help us be dedicated to you, to give ourselves to you daily. And Lord, use us for your honor and for your glory. I pray you do a great work in our hearts. May we respond appropriately this morning. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name.